Let's pray together. Let the good news come now, Father, not only in word but with power, with Holy Spirit. May your own divine presence rest upon what we say and listen and respond in this moment. That you are the chief cornerstone of life and of death and the one who has conquered the grave. And so fill this sanctuary and those who are participating in this message with the courage to be able to respond with the faithfulness that you have first given to us. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name and all of God's people said. I don't know if you're an action figure person, but a few years ago there was a product that came out that was a new action figure that was going to hit the market. This action figure is referred to as Invisible Jim. This action figure on the inside has realistic fake hair. The, the camouflage is sold separately and new toy companies as well as stores started to get Invisible Jim. There was only one thing that was really different about this product because when you opened it up on the inside, there was nothing in it. This product sold so well and it upset so many people that they wanted to be an equal opportunity provider and so they produced Invisible Gin with female superpowers of being able to have no need for a jacket in the cold and expert at eye rolling and her mission to take the object out of objectified superheroes. Invisible Gin and Invisible Jim. Several people were upset, people who had bought it, because it was all packaging and no product. All packaging and no product. Have you ever felt like that somebody has made you a promise that was all package and no product? Whether it was listen to a politician or maybe even a preacher? That there was a lot of marketing, there was a lot of branding, but when it came to the point of delivering, it failed to deliver on the promise. A Christian ethicist by the name of Lewis Meads once wrote this, everything in human history depends on a promise made and a promise kept. When you make a promise, you have created a small sanctuary of trust within the jungle of unpredictability. Every relationship is based on a promise made and a promise kept. Every marriage is based on a promise made and a promise kept. Every time we eat something or we buy something or we do something, it is all out of the basis of there being some sort of promise that is both made and kept. God is the promise-making God. And in fact, one student of Scripture decided to take the better part of a year and a half to try to tally up as he went through the Scriptures all the different promises in the Bible. Turn to somebody next to you. How many different promises do you think that there are in the Bible? Turn to somebody next to you and guess how many promises are in the Bible. The answer, according to this student... 7,487 promises. 
I decided to jot down a few. God promised Adam and Eve that they were made in his image. God promised Noah never again to destroy the earth of the flood. God promised Abraham that we can walk by faith. God promised Sarah that she could have a child in her old age, which might not be a good promise for some of us in this room. God promised Jacob that God will be with him. God promised Joseph that although others were working harm, God was always weaving the good. God promised the Hebrew midwives, Shifra and Pua, that the brutal dictators of this world are not stronger than the living God. God promised Moses to make a way through the waters of the sea where there didn't appear to be a way. God promised Joshua that God will fight for them. God promised Gideon that God will deliver them. God promised Ruth that love is greater than bitterness. God promised Samuel that God was still speaking. God promised David that his kingdom would never end. God promised that Solomon that he would give him wisdom. God promised Elijah that he was not alone. God promised Elisha that the resurrection would come. God promised Isaiah that those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength, that they will soar with wings like eagles. God promised Jeremiah that God's word will be written on our hearts. God promised Ezekiel that the valley of the dry bones will rise. God promised Amos that justice will roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. God promised Malachi that you can't outgive God. God promised Zephaniah that we will have a home. God promised Mary that the chosen one will bring good news even to the poor. God promised a Samaritan woman that living water will never run out. God promised a paralyzed man that he would walk. God God promised a blind man that he would see. God promised a bleeding woman that she was his daughter. God promised Peter that he would fish for people. God promised Paul that his grace is sufficient and that his power is made perfect in weakness. God promised John that he would wipe away every tear from our eyes that will be no more death, no more disease, no more pain. And that behold, God is promising that he is making all things new. That is 30 promises. And so there are 7,457 more promises to go. Everything in human history hinges on the fact that God is the promise maker and he is the promise keeper. And the one thing that I can assure you in a warped generation is that this is not all package and no product. Did you see the news about what happened in Japan within the last year? That they decided to revisit with some new satellite imagery and to pull out all of their old photographs. That they estimated that there were just shy of 7,000 islands that are a part of what makes up Japan. Do you know what they discovered? They did not reclassify islands. It's still the same size, it's still the same category but they think that they were a little off with their earlier tally of islands. They now realize that they have 7,000 more islands than they originally thought. In other words, that there are more islands in Japan than they had even tallied the first time. And we can laugh at this and talk about where was the incompetence? How could you possibly get something like this wrong? And yet, are you and I any different when we have this book on our shelf or our nightstand or in our hand that there are so many more promises in this book that we don't recognize, that we never saw, and we've never been a part of experiencing before? Max Lucado puts it like this. 
God's promises are the pine trees and the rocky mountains of Scripture, abundant, unbending, and perennial. Some of the promises are positive, the assurance of blessings. Some are negative, the guarantee of consequences. But all are binding, for not only is God a promise maker, God is a promise keeper. Not one of all the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled. The question is not, will God keep his promises, but will we build our lives upon them? Max Lucado's father died at an earlier age from ALS. And so when Max discovered that he had a tremor in his thumb, he started to get worried. And his imagination started to wonder, knowing his family history. Every time he would stand over a putt, it would shake. Every time he would sit down to eat, it would shake. Every time he sat down to write a note or to work on a sermon, it would shake. And so he called up his physician, and his physician was an old friend as well. He did the blood work, all the exams, all the tests that he needed to do. And he looked at Max and he said, Max, It's nothing. It's just a little tremor. And Max is like, no, no, you don't understand. My father, my history is like, Max, trust me. It's nothing. I promise. And Max said that all of the fear and all of the anxiety just melted away. That he got in the car and he put his hands on the steering wheel in order to drive and has noticed that his old thumb was shaken still, but he looked at that thumb with a whole new reality. He said, I could either focus on the problem or I could focus on the promise. And that he trusted that promise more than he did the fear of the problem. The question is not so much whether or not God has made promises. The question is, will we base our lives on them? You know, no matter how much biblical knowledge you have, you know enough about the promises of God. The question is, are those things activated for you in your life? Take, for example, the most obvious of scriptures that is put on a placard and on t-shirts of John 3.16. For God. In other words, this world is not an accident. You have been created in his image. That's a promise. For God so loved that what is at the core of the universe is not the blind, pitiless indifference of what the atheists say. Is that the thing that unites everything together and is the reason that we exist is that God is seeking out of the overflow of his love for you and me, your good and mine. That's a promise. For God so loved, for God so loved the world. In other words, God is not playing favorites. He's not pulling together just a band of his team. He is attempting to pull people together in order to bless the whole world. And that is a promise. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. In other words, 
at the core of God's love is his generosity for the way that he has created, the air that we breathe, the abundance of the trees that give us shade, life, food, health, love, friendship. Can you ever count and tally to the gratitude and the thanksgiving of all that God has done for you and me? That's a promise. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that he gave him that sacrifice, that he went to the cross for your sins and mine. And that's a promise. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him, that you can put your trust, your confidence, your reliability on God himself, and that he will never fail you, he will never forsake you, he will never abandon you. And that's a promise. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. You will not truly die in him. Your life, my life, held in the security of his grip of grace. And that's a promise. In other words, I am 100% confident that the 7,487,000 promises, promises in the Bible is a low estimate. If we will only have eyes to see, only have ears to hear, and only be willing to trust what those promises are. For the better part of a season, we have been launching what we're referring to as renewing the promise. The promises that God has made to us that now in our moment in history, that we get to learn how to share and to base our lives and to invite others into. At the birth of the church, Jesus gives the gift of his Holy Spirit and the washing away of our sins. And that old, uneducated preacher, or fisherman turned preacher, Peter, becomes one of the greatest evangelists in history. He preaches a sermon, and this is what happens in Acts 2. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And let's say this part together in unison. This promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, Peter warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. I cannot tell you how much comfort I take in seeing a scripture like that. Because in today's day and age, we think our generation's the worst. But there have been really tough and corrupt and difficult eras and periods of time. And that the church itself was birthed in the midst of a time where generationally things were falling apart. And in the midst of everything that seemed to be uncertain, God created through a promise what we refer to as baptism. He produced a community 
where God's spirit would dwell within them. And no matter how warped and how crooked that generation was, people could experience the living God and grace beyond their wildest dreams. This is what church is for. This is why we exist and we gather on a Sunday morning that there is a promise and that this promise is for you. A couple of weeks ago, I was standing at the front of this church when a young man came forward with a book that he had recently read by Tim Keller called The Prodigal God that explained to him the gospel. Understanding that Tim Keller was a Presbyterian preacher, he looked for a Presbyterian church and stumbled into our doors. And with Dr. Stephen Newby and standing at the front of the church after the service, he gave his life to Jesus Christ. And I got to pray over him that he would receive the Holy Spirit and the forgiveness of sins. And so, young man, if you're watching this broadcast right now or if you're a part of this sanctuary, Welcome to the family of God with the promise. Just a couple of weeks ago, I was leading a funeral in here for a room that was totally packed. We gave eulogies and told stories, and his very life was a proclamation of the good news of being able to rely on God. The very next day, I got a text from somebody who was in attendance for that service, who said to me, I know that if I died today, I have none of that hope. And I know that if I died today, nobody would talk about me in the way that people talked about him in that funeral. Do you think you could spare a few moments for us to meet? Yeah, I think I can. And if you're watching this broadcast right now or if you're in this room right now, the promise is real. And it's for you. Welcome to the family of faith. But the promise isn't just for us, right? This promise is also for our children in the narrowest sense. This might be the care and the love of parents wanting to pass down the faith to their own children, but even in its most broadest sense, whether we have children or not, or grandchildren or not, it is about passing the faith on to the next generation, and you can look at steady after steady, and you can read the headlines for all of the news, and they will all try to tell you the same thing, that the faith is a thing of the past, that it is in our rearview mirror, that the next generations don't want anything to do with it, and it's just going to fade away into the woodwork, and I'm here to tell you that that that's a lie because it goes against the promise of what we have in Scripture, a promise that will never fail, that this promise is for the future generations too. And it's more of a question of our apathy than it is a question of whether it will come to pass. This church has always cared about the next generation more than our own preferences. Because we stand on the promise. This promise is for you, it is for your children, and it is for all who are far off. It is for the little girl who is in a classroom in Malawi because one of you is sponsoring her. 
And because this church has put solar power in that village that she's able to have nighttime lights so that she can read. It is a promise that is for a young girl in India that has been trafficked and now is able to live in a home where they can begin to holistically help her to put the grace of her life back together. It is for other little girls down in Guatemala who have been abused. It is for children in this community of Atlanta whose parents have been arrested at no fault of their own, which starts a generational incarceration of likelihood of them ending up in jail. It is for the people that will gather in a food co-op to give them food with dignity in the midst of their food insecurity in this city. It is for a family that is about to inhabit their first ever home through the habitat builds that we are doing. This promise is for you, but it's not just for you. It's for the next generation, but it's not just for the next generation. It is for all people, even those who think that they are far away. And the missional movement and the gift of the good news of Jesus Christ that this church was founded on in loving this community, we will stand on that promise. Many of you know that I probably wouldn't be in ministry if it weren't for Vic Pence doing an internship at the First Presbyterian Church of Houston, experiencing and deepening my call to ministry. And then him coming to Peachtree. One of the things that I used to love about Vic's sermons is that he would every once in a while have one of these stories that you can never just unhear. And one of my favorite Vic stories is of a time when he had bought a blue blazer at Nordstrom. And in buying it, he wore it a couple of times, and then he discovered after wearing it that the color's just not quite right, and that it attracts lint like it's going out of style, and it gets wrinkly really easily. And so he wore it a couple of times, and then he put it in his closet, and he didn't think anything of it, that it just sat in the back of his closet for about a year and a half. And one day when he was getting ready to go clean out his closet, he noticed that he'd only worn this coat a couple of times, and he grabbed it, and he was going to give it away, and then he realized... Wait, when I bought this, Nordstrom made me a promise. And so he walked into a Nordstrom store 18 months after he bought it. And he walked straight to a man who was working in the men's section with a handlebar mustache. And he said the truth. I bought this jacket. It attracts lint like it's going out of style. It wrinkles too easily. It's the wrong color. I wore it a few times. I have not worn it since. I'm about to put your Nordstrom promise to the test. And he handed it to the store clerk. And the store clerk sighed. And his shoulders sagged a little bit. And he shook his head. And he said, what took you so long? (laughs) Let's go find you a new coat. Everything in human history 
depends on a promise made and a promise kept. And that when we make a promise, we create a little island of certainty in the midst of the uncertainty in the jungle of the chaos of our world. The promise that we have is our baptismal promise. Some of the best advice I ever got was from my childhood pastor who looked at me and said, Rich, remember the authority by which you do what you do in ministry is given to you in your baptism and not in your ordination. Somewhere along the line, you have taken this promise if you were a member of this church. It was a promise that you took when you joined the church. It was a promise that you made if you were a parent on behalf of a child. And the promise was, do you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And the invitation is to say, if so, you say, I do. Do you trust? Do you rely on him? If so, please say, I do. Do you intend for your child or for you yourself to be his disciple, to obey his word and to show his love? I do, I do, I do. Vows that were taken before God in the presence of others. It is the vow that holds a marriage together. It is a vow that holds this community of faith together. And it is a vow that is derivative from the promises that God has given to us in Jesus Christ. Do you believe that promise? Will you renew that promise? In fact, I want to invite you to stand for a moment in the middle of this message. Well, not quite the middle, it's towards the end. (laughs) And I'm going to invite you to renew your membership and your baptismal promise. Do you believe in Jesus Christ if you're Lord and Savior? If so, please say, I do. That was kind of Presbyterian. Do you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? If so, please say, I do. Do you trust? Do you rely on him? If so, please say, I do. Do you intend to be his disciple, to obey his word, and to show forth his love? If so, please say, I do. I do. You may be seated. So just a little over a month ago, because our high school senior is graduating, we took her on a senior spring break trip. And in going on the senior spring break trip, we went on a cruise together. And you see all of the people who, who work so hard on a cruise to make sure that you have a, a great and hospitable experience. And there was this one guy that I, that I met who was a server for us. His name was Zaki. And he was some, from somewhere in East Asia. Zaki told us his story of that he was one of those cruise workers that was on a cruise ship when COVID shut everything down. And that they went down to a skeleton crew and that his cruise ship was parked off the coast of Florida for four months. At first he said it was great. No pesky guests, fewer chores to do. He even got to move from the quarters that are kind of in the lower deck to a guest room with a veranda. He's like, man, I thought this was great at first, but not for very long. Because the whole purpose in being there was not to be on a glorified, lengthy vacation. The reason he had gotten into that business 
in the first place was to see the payoff, to see the smile, the joy on the people's faces as he served us. And as he's telling me the story of his four months anchored off the coast with very little to do, he had tears streaming down his face when he said, finally they got us home and I couldn't wait to get that invitation to go back so that I could serve and watch people experience the joy of their vacation again. I was the first to sign up, he said. He wanted to be a part of a larger promise of providing joy and happiness for families. Friends, I don't think of this so much as a transactional financial act. I think it's a gut check on how committed we are on this cruise ship called planet Earth. to having a vacation life or having a life of service. And that this church has the incredible promises of God in a world that desperately needs those promises. And so in a few moments after this video, I'm gonna invite us to take up our offering and to come forward as an act of worship at the very place where we celebrate the Lord's Supper here and in these baskets to put our piece of the puzzle together to renew the promise for the next generation. Let's watch the screens. Renewing the promise is about more than just your legacy. It's about a future, a future that has hope and potential because of God's good news. Because I've been here since I was 10, because I've seen the way my father and that generation of leaders in our church really invested in the future of our church. We want to keep investing in our church so that it will continue to be a living church for all the little kids that are gonna come in after us. Generations after generations, my wife's family have been here and we wanna continue that legacy. The kids love coming here. The kids are so excited with what's been going on in the youth and student ministry that they won't even let us think about going anywhere else if we wanted to. Students aren't just the future, but they're the present and today of the church. It just helps me have a big desire for these renovations to be a place for them. To me, the future of Peachtree looks like being able to keep flourishing my own faith in a place that's so sacred to me. And then also like looking at the future, like when we're adults, like if we're still coming to church here, like we could get married in a new sanctuary, which is like crazy to think about. This renovation is gonna enable us to breathe new life into our spirits, new life into our soul, and to renew the promise that we made to serve the people with energy, intelligence, imagination, and love like that movie, Build It and They Will Come. We're not changing who we are, but we're just making maybe things more inviting, giving people new opportunities to invite and to be more encouraging of people to come. It's gonna be this beautiful new reawakening and reimagining of the sanctuary. It's going to be a lovely place to be. It's gonna be our legacy for future generations. My commitment is to honor the past and invest in the future. I'm committed to renewing the promise here at Peachtree.